Welcome to Limited Time Only, the podcast for anyone who feels there aren't enough hours in their life. Limited Time Only is a mix of chat, comedy sketches and interviews with interesting people. We hope that we will make you smile, laugh and feel a bit brighter about the whole life, death and everything in between malarkey. Essentially, we're dissecting the human condition, just using a rubber chicken rather than a scalpel. I'm Esther and I'm Susie and And this this is Limited Limited Time Time Only. Only. This week it's time for... Hits and giggles. I'm a bit slow today, Esther, mm-hmm. um, because my husband and I took our kids to a fun fair. Yeah. Yesterday, it was the last possible day we could go to this fun fair. Um, my daughter had been going on and on about it f- for about two weeks, um, and had asked so politely if we could go. She said, um, "I was hoping we might be able to go to the fair, mummy." <laughs> So something out of an Enid Blyton novel. <laughs> so I was like, well, as you've asked so politely, we will go. But unfortunately, yesterday was the worst weather we've had in about a month. Uh, and it was just tipping down with rain. Um, so it was a bit grim, but no queues. So that was Brilliant. good. Um, and the kids were loving, you know, the little aeroplane rides and then going around in the truck rides. Very tame activities that we were happy to stand and watch. And then my daughter wanted to go on the Flying Dutchman. It used to be called okay. the swings. Oh, I love the swings. They're my favourite. Yeah, big, big, and it goes round yes, and round. Love yeah, those. and they sort of swing out. Okay, so my husband said he didn't want to do that, so I, I said I'll go on with it. I mean, it was raining, so we we made sure we went in one of the inner swings, so we were trying not to get too wet. In the end, that, that made absolutely no difference. We still <laughs> absolutely drenched with freezing cold rain hitting our faces. I was all right because I was wearing sun- wearing not sunglasses, wearing glasses. <laughs> So my eyes were protected, although I couldn't see afterwards because they were completely steamed up. But my daughter was getting pelted by freezing cold rain. But the main problem was um, after the initial, oh, my goodness, this is incredibly high and fast. And oh, what fun. um, The nausea set in and uh, we both felt (gasps) sick. (laughs) And, And it was just going on. And on, and on, and it was and it and it was pulsing. He was pulsing it, so it goes and you sort of drop slightly and then go back up, round and round and round and round. And I was just uh, we stopped screaming after a while. It was just silent, it was just silent. <laughs> and my husband said he saw me at one point do that. You know when you push your cheeks out to, to express that you're going to barf. Yes, that sort of face. And I, I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> with my complete my glasses completely covered in water um but but the point of this story is that it is now how long is it it's 17 hours later it's exactly 17 hours since i went on that ride and i still feel sick <gasps> oh my goodness that is so awful i still feel nauseous oh my goodness that is that is <laughs> Oh my! I love those. They're one of my favourites. Those and waltzers. I love them, and I like going on the one oh at Dreamland gosh. in Margate, yes. and it swings out. And I like to pretend I'm flying. And I remember one year we went, um, and it was such a lovely day. And it was the end of the day, and there was no one there, and we could just keep going on it. And I kept sitting on the outside one, taking my like I was such a hippie, taking my flip flops off, oh, and yeah. then like I was flying and with my eyes closed, yeah. and I just loved it. I used to, love and them. I couldn't get enough. <laughs> I used to love but now you can't handle it. But it was awful because I, as as we were going around, I suddenly realised because I can't actually go on um, a children's roundabout anymore because I get uh, nauseous. Yeah. I can't go on a kid's swing in the playground. <laughs> so I was like, I start again. And I was like, oh, hang on a second. So I'm I'm on a swing 
which I normally can't do, and a roundabout, which I normally can't do, at the same time. Yes, oh my goodness, the combination. Quadruple the speed and height. So <laughs> I know so many people though that can't do that anymore. That that sort of get to their thirties, forties, and probably uh, older people who have the same experience, and then just suddenly can't go on anything that spins round. It's, it's your inner ear. It is, isn't inner it? Ear. Yeah. I, I'm worried. I've got sort of. I've I've set myself off on a labyrinthitis. <laughs> is that so it is literally 17 hours since it, and I'm still feeling sick. I've had uh, ginger tea this morning, which makes me want to be sick anyway, uh, but my husband made me drink it. I've got bands on, sickness bands. Oh, wow. You know, do you have these? And my so kids they, they're, do. They're little, yes, with a little... Um, magnets. It's got a little... Oh, is it a magnet? Yeah, apparently it's it, magnets in them or something. My aren't so high tech. It, it's a little... Um, <laughs> bit of plastic that digs into your special point on your arm. Is that so that you uh, are just distracted by the pain? So you distracted. Just I'm in horrendous pain. <laughs> I'm wearing an instrument of torture on my wrists. So I'm wearing those. I've been for a little walk and I tried running wow. round in the opposite direction to the direction. <laughs> I tried that in the, uh, in the kitchen this morning. That wasn't a good idea. I, I, that is such a brilliant I, I don't image. recommend that. That made me a bit dizzy as well as feeling sick. That's not good. We used to play a game, actually. You, you talking about that reminds me that when we were in sixth form, there were a whole massive gang of us that used to do a pub crawl. And we used to get to this one pub and we used to play what we called the wibbly wobbly game, which was you were a few drinks in, but then you would get... I don't know why we got brooms from, but we would... Or maybe we didn't have brooms. But you would basically hold onto a broom handle and spin around and around and around and around and around and around, and around next to somebody else who's doing the same thing. And then you'd have to run towards something and see yes. who got there. But of course you were drunk And as you'd well, sort of so. veering off to the side. Yes, yeah. yeah. But I bet there's so many people that that I used to do that with that just wouldn't be able to do that now. I I mean, obviously, put the alcohol in. Oh my God, what a mess. Oh gosh, no, no. I remember that was a game we used to play in um, on summer camps. I remember playing oh, really? it on the summer camp. Yeah, as kids as well. You just did, did that. And then you, oh, <laughs> it's God. horrendously dangerous because you got loads of kids. It was a race. Yes. So you got all these kids lined up. Headbutting each other. <laughs> do you reckon the camp leaders just used to do it for their own amusement? Because I think I probably would have done that for a laugh. Oh yeah. So I don't know what what am I meant to do? I mean, oh, God, I'm just ride it out if you'll excuse the pun. I guess that's all you can. I, do. I can't think about riding. No. Um, <laughs> I'm walking everywhere from now on. I still love things like that. I touch wood. That's one of my favourites. But I couldn't do the one in you know London where you literally are high in the sky i wouldn't do that that would scare the bejesus out of me i just would be having a panic attack but the gentle one dreamland margate lovely i could go on that all day i feel like i'm flying i just was praying for it to stop i don't know whether he made it go on for longer because there's so few people yeah. there because it was absolutely horrendous weather oh god i can't <laughs> think about it actually i don't want to think about it anymore i can't do roller coasters anymore i think i'd be okay on that i think for me it's the it's the swinging Swinging motion I can't do, and the rota it's rotation. So actually, I've I've been bad on waltzes for a long time. Can't do waltzes. You're spinning yes. two ways, aren't you? I love a waltzer. We'd be dreadful at a theme park together. <laughs> We'd be on opposite ends. We'd go together and have to just go on different rides all day. Absolutely. We'd like meet meet you at the ice cream place in five hours. Well, you would like to watch me on a waltzer because I don't know what happens to me, but I. <laughs> I cannot stop laughing. So they pick on me because I laugh and my face sort of sticks 
to the back of the chair. And I, oh my goodness. I am, and I'm a loud laugher. So I am howling. And then usually I'm on with like Ian and the kids and they can't stop laughing or whoever I'm on with. It's, it's like, it's uncontrollable. I literally, I can't stop it. It's like if I've been to the chiropractor, which I've only done uh, for a little short period of time once before. And every time he cracked me, I would just absolutely start howling to the point of tears coming out <laughs> so i'm like that on a waltzer but when it comes to roller coasters i i don't know what it is i think it's a control issue i used to love them but now as soon as that big black metal bar comes down paddy metal bar i'm I, I can't get out and i don't like it and i think i'm gonna get crushed or i can't get out i can't take it off and i start becoming quite anxious and i but i used to love them it's sad isn't it really sad yeah i mean i will never ever get on those again i mean 17 hours of nausea it, it's not worth no. that is it absolutely not it was 30 seconds of fun before it turned into another minute and a half of horror uh, followed by 17 hours of nausea. That is not what you want from a theme park. Fun fairs, you're dead to me. <laughs> Susie actually felt nauseous for 72 hours, accompanied by an inability to focus. The diagnosis was nystagmus, or dancing eyes, caused by the fast rotational movement of the swings at the fun fair. It's time for an ad break. Strap yourselves in. Haven't you had a day? How you've coped is beyond me. What with having to sit on hold for 45 minutes, listen to Kajagoogoo on Muzak during lunchtime whilst you sort out your house insurance, and then having to retrieve a mouldy sandwich from down the back of your son's bed that was causing a hideous smell. Well, you're amazing. You really are. In fact, you know what? I know you're on a diet and you've already had all your sins for the day, but I think you deserve a little treat. Now, don't give yourself a hard time about this. I think you should have some of the chocolate from out of the cupboard. Kate Moss eats chocolate and she's super skinny, so what's a bit of chocolate going to do to you, really? What difference will it make? That's it, get the chocolate out. Oh, smell that creamy deliciousness. Is there anything better? That's it, get the wrapper off. Do it quickly. You're not doing anything wrong. That's it. Shove another piece in before someone comes along. You're not doing anything wrong. You deserve this. You deserve this. That's it. Keep eating. That's it. That's it. You fat cow! Can you not even stick to healthy eating for one day? Do you have to gorge yourself in the cupboard on your children's chocolate? You know what? You disgust me. Do you ever dream songs and then have them stuck in your head? I get songs stuck in my head and at night it's particularly bad. They will just repeat and repeat and repeat, but usually just one line. I may dream them as well, I don't know, but I don't recall dreaming a song out of the blue. When I was a kid, I used to dream songs that didn't exist and I'd wake up and I'd write them down. They were Ooh. just sort of compositions. I mean, obviously, I'm an undiscovered McCartney. I think you're genius. I must be a genius of some description. <laughs> but I had a period of a, <laughs> about five years where <laughs> I would dream most nights or at least once a week, I would have Wired for Sound by Cliff Richard going around my head all through my dream. I can't even remember. What does that sound like? Can you sing me a bit? Da, 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 ba, 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 I'm wired for sound. And he was on roller skates. I mean, I do remember it now with a white suit. Yes. I mean, Cliff is underrated, so I'm glad we've got that in because 
he is he is a class act, Cliff Richards. Shout out to the Cliff, to the Richards. <laughs> but I just wondered if it was something that other people experience. As I say, I often I don't so much make up songs in my head, in but I used to wake up and then I'd write songs down that I, I dreamt. Um, some of them are absolute classics um one was called cloud nine um and there were loads of weird songs that i dreamt but i just wondered if anybody else because my husband doesn't have it and i yeah king of wishful thinking but wired for sound tormented me for a solid five years once a week um <laughs> I, just, I just wondered if anybody else had that oh, got no, cliff just... richard roller skating around your brain at all times well actually i didn't I wish I'd had the roller skating bit in it. It was just a soundtrack through the back of my dreams. That's so weird, isn't it? For quite a few years. And then somebody pointed out, I think it was my cousin's wife, pointed out that it was the video of him on roller skates. And then I Googled it. But I just wondered if anybody else ever experienced this. Or if I'm just a bit old. Well, no, I don't do it now, really. But as a teenager, I I would definitely fall asleep listening to usually the entire The Hits of Aha, (laughs) The Best of Aha, or um, something like that. And I would fall asleep listening to that, the whole album. And then I'd, I don't know whether those songs would embed themselves in my subconscious and sort of the dreams would come related to those songs, possibly. They're probably full of Vikings and um, weird cartoon characters. Morton Harkett's chest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't ever remember doing that, but I often have songs that play through my dreams, like backing tracks. Yeah. Very odd. Wow. Okay, so I'm basically on my own. If anybody out there has similar experiences, obviously, aside from Paul McCartney... Um, I think we should be more specific. I think, I think I want to know if anyone out there also has Cliff Richard. Um, any, of, <laughs> any of the Cliff Richard canon um, running through their brains on a regular basis. Um, that would be good to know. Other than Cliff, of course, because I'm sure he's, yes. he's used to that. <laughs> Sometime after this... I had a new song that was the soundtrack to my dream. Shall I tell you what it was? (laughs) Okay, I cannot wait. I mean, I am on the edge of my seat. It was Go West, King of Wishful Thinking. (laughs) Oh, what a classic. I know. Classic song. I woke up. Why is that going through my head? Just, yeah. And so I sang it all day. You are literally, you're plugged in (laughs) to some kind of, 80s 90s mashup channel yeah you should be a dj yes yes that's i mean right, you mate. would only play two songs but they're good <laughs> they're good songs that's right mate that's right <laughs> that's right mate i don't know why i went australian <laughs> hello hello <laughs> welcome to it's a stanford's dj session i'm gonna play you on loop king of wishful thinking and wire for sound by cliff richard I actually played, I've actually listened to Wired for Sound a couple of times since oh, you? telling that story, um, that you've had that go through your head. Um, yeah, it's a good song. Although it should be faster. I feel like it. Um, Wired for Sound. in my head, it's quicker than it is. Maybe we should drop a drum and bass beat in the back. And I'll, get, I'll get Jingle Joel to do it. Jingle Joel. But you know, the funny, the funny thing is the lyrics. I like small speakers. <laughs> I like tall speakers. All right, Cliff. Oh, thank you for going through the list of the size of speakers that you... I like medium speakers too. I like tiny speakers. I like massive speakers. But if they're too big, they make me feel sick. There you go. That's the, that's the follow-up. Yeah, the sequel. Why for sound the sequel? <laughs> 
We interrupt this program with a U-bash. Studies have shown that well-being increases dramatically if you do one thing you love every day. So I have just been lying in a darkened room listening to Ooh-ee-ooh-ah-ah, ting-tang, walla-walla-bing-bang, on repeat, for five hours. Goodbye. You guys can ask me anything you want. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is very exciting. I'll answer any question. Today's guest is the hilarious Joe Coffey. Joe is a stand-up comedian, actress, writer and television producer with an incredibly successful and varied career. As a producer, some of her jobs have included Fame Academy, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, and on Big Brother, she was both behind and in front of the camera, working as a presenter on Big Brother's bit on the side. As an actress, she's been in EastEnders, and not one, but two Kenneth Branagh films. And as a stand-up, she's had three successful Edinburgh Festival shows and supported Ben Elton. What can't this woman do? We spoke to Jo about what it feels like doing stand-up, what spending time in the jungle is like, and how it feels to be kissed by Kevin. Costner. Welcome to the show, Joe Coffey. You are a multi-hyphenate, which is very impressive. Thank you, Tiddy. I had to actually Google that when you put it in to find out what that was. <laughs> I had no idea what a multi... I was still really not sure, but thank you. You thought I was being really rude. <laughs> it, it sounds like I should be one of those, so thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I've got some sort of 19th century disease or something. I was like, <laughs> You are um, a stand-up comedian, you're a writer, an actress, a presenter, a producer, um, all-round lovely person. I mean, how do you fit it all in? Oh, it's, it's exhausting. I tell you, <laughs> absolutely. Well, a lot of the, the, although it sounds like I've got a load of jobs, I've actually, it's kind of all falls into one, really. Because if you're a stand-up, nine times out of ten, you're going to be a writer as well. Um, and you're going to try your hand at acting or you're you're going to do acting as well or, or from the background that obviously we've all come from. So, yeah, it kind of, the producing thing is different. That kind of I fell into. That was my kind of proper job. I have kind of fell into that when I was about 21. I got the job out of a paper. Can you believe that? I got my first TV job out of the Guardian paper. Like Bridget Jones? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've got the same big pants as Bridget Jones as well. <laughs> That's middle-aged. Absolutely. (laughs) And loving it. And loving it. (laughs) What was the job? So my first job in television was writing scripts for, uh, you know, when you used to bring up competition lines and then go, hello, you've reached the competition line of Big Break. This is 50p a minute. And these are the questions. That was my job. Oh, wow. That is such a great job. (laughs) Well, you say that. It was at the BBC, so then I, I worked my way up uh, over the next 10 years and across at the BBC and uh, onto different productions. Ended up on Top of the Pops and Fame Academy and all wow. of those. I know, some really strange ones. I can't believe that you got that job out of the paper. I mean, now you need about four degrees to work in television. Absolutely. I got, yeah, it was, only, it was like an entry-level job. But that's how you did things then, wasn't it? Yeah. There was no real internet or to speak of so you kind of just applied for things like the paper and then you nice. got your horse and trap and <laughs> sent your letters by pigeon to people <laughs> and where did that lead to those sort of early producing roles <laughs> I mean it's, it's always such a strange strange way how things turn out so I did that for a while and then I went over to a part of the BBC that specialised in digital and websites but you have to remember at the time there wasn't really 
like Twitter hadn't been invented or any anything like that. So it was a kind of, you know, it was it was basically me working on top of the pops, everyone seeing that I couldn't really stand up very much because uh, I have a disability. So they go and work on the website because that's easier and you can <laughs> <laughs> Was that what you, was that what you wanted to do, Joe? Or would you rather? Have... <laughs> I'm kind of happy with anyway. But after that, I worked on a a show that was the first kind of um, show of its kind. It was called Celeb Dak, and it was a, a celebrity stock exchange. And the whole idea for the TV show on BBC Three came off the back of the website, which hadn't really been done before. So you buy and trade in celebrities, and then we'd measure the column inches each week. And um, you get a dividend, like a payout. It was natural stock exchange. So there were loads of people online playing. We did that every night um, on BBC Three. We actually made a show every single night on BBC I think it was every night. It felt like it was. After Liquid News. <laughs> liquid News? Yep. I'm getting retro. I'm getting retro. Oh, my God. <laughs> we like it. We like it. We were, so, yeah, I ended up doing that. And then I stayed at the BBC for about 10 years. And then I went freelance and did all the big ones then. So I went and did Big Brother for about... 25 million years I did X Factor I went to the jungle which was the most stupid thing for a disabled person to not really ask any questions and just presume she can go and work in the jungle and it'll all be fine <laughs> oh gosh it kind of was and it kind of was it was like it was the jungle so it was it was hard <laughs> working on the production team on that yeah you're actually in the jungle yeah fully in the jungle I was sent to work on the live show so the, whatever the live element of the show is so there was a show called um, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now, which was uh, then hosted by Laura Whitmore and um, Rob Beckett. Because it was live, we had to work on UK time. So we'd get a bus or like a big coach come and pick us up. Get a bus at like four o'clock in the afternoon. You go up into the jungle. I mean, literally into the jungle. And then you change your bus into four by fours. And then you'd work through the night till 11 o'clock in the morning because you had to be on UK time and you were making a live TV programme. And in that pace of time, so many things would try and kill you. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so there were like, there were snakes, there were stuff, but you were so tired. Like I had, when I, I'm a massive arachnophobe, like a huge, huge, really frightened of spiders. When I first arrived in the porter cabin, I was talk- talking about something, how it was going to run or like we just got there and I was saying, oh, my part of the show is going to be this and we're going to do that. And someone went, it's on you. It- it's-, it's on you. And there was a massive spider on my hair. <laughs> Can you oh imagine? my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my God. I don't want to. <laughs> that was like the worst moment of my life. Possibly. <laughs> it really was. It was, how, like, it was hideous. How big was it? The Australians would have found it hilarious because their spiders are like the huntsman spiders are massive. Yeah. But this was like a big house spider, like in the UK. But then we'd be in the gallery, and like the gallery is obviously in the middle of the jungle. So it's, you'd be making this live TV program, or you'd be waiting for the main show to finish so you can come on air. And then someone would go, There's a huntsman in here. And what they meant was there's a massive spider in here somewhere and you wouldn't know where it was and you had to oh do a live TV show anyway. So there were elements that really were frightening. But I, obviously, I mean, I, I could go to the, the canteen or the, the catch or, and get some lunch, but the poor bloody contestants didn't have that lunch. So I kind of thought, oh, they'll be given a sandwich or whatever halfway through. No, they're really in the jungle. They're, <laughs> they're properly in the jungle. <laughs> Where they're sleeping, the snakes and stuff. There were brown snakes by. We used to call oh, the God. place where people used to go for a cigarette by a boiler, just in the middle of the production village. Uh, we used to call it Snake Hotel. 
there's all the snakes would be under it. <laughs> Did everyone give up smoking whilst they were there? I gave up light tester. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've worked on all like the big television shows. Which ones have been your favourite? Well, do you know what the, the favourite ones were always the really small ones. I think like I, I worked on a show for about oh god I did it for about a year I think and it was called Say Yes to the Dress and it was with David Emmanuel and we had to go to Lakeside in this little bridal shop. And um, I mean, it was very unglamorous. Like I had to, a laptop upstairs by like a washing machine and uh, like it was boiling. It was like hot, really hot summer. And uh, we were up in where all the dresses had been steamed. And stuff. <laughs> but I just got to watch people try on wedding dresses all day and it was so much fun. <laughs> David Emmanuel is just possibly the nicest person on the planet. So, oh. yeah. I saw you presenting on Big Brother as well. Um, and so did that just come from being in the production office? They were like, you are great at chatting. Let's get you on the show. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they knew I was a comedian already. And we first did a thing with Kate Quilton, me and Kate Quilton, who's now on Food and Wraps. And she does, um, she's like a Channel 4 presenter now. I think she does it full time. Yeah. And uh, we did this thing called <laughs> Very Imaginative called a web watch where uh, each day you come over and then you, you go oh what's what's on the website and I go oh we've got a few things on the website this time but then as the show progressed my digital department got taken by bit on the side and it was yeah. we all got moved to channel five so I I agreed to do the job and I said oh, am I still going to be presenting and they went yeah yeah we've got we've got something for you to do and I went okay and then I came down on the day or the day before and I went oh well where's my desk or like where's my and they went oh well it's kind of there and I went well, but that's the set <laughs> and they were like yeah yeah well it's kind of on the and I went no but where's my actual desk I have actually got to do a job throughout this <laughs> so they had to get me a living room and then a t- it was that was quite hard because I had to I was series producer on the show and then I had to at midnight do live tv presenting <laughs> oh my god what after a full day's work yeah I've been there since like half ten yeah, running a team of people that have not really worked in TV before. They're all really young. I mean, it was a massive amount of fun. Do you have a favourite contestant that was on Big Brother? Nikki. Oh, Nikki Graham. Bless her, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Nikki. And there was a guy on, uh, I can't remember his second name now, bless him, but Mark, his name was. And he uh, was on the Channel 5 one, and he left quite early. I can't remember why now. they done so many series. But then he kind of, he left the house. And then he appeared on Bit on the Side, and because I was presenting on it at the time, we got to know each other. And then he just came and started working in my office. <laughs> How much? I just give him stuff to do, and he just—I was like, "What? I don't. You can't sit here all day." And like, because he was waiting to do filming with other bits of the production, basically. So like, you can't sit here all day and take up room. And he was like, "Oh no, no, I'll do stuff." So he, he just started doing stuff, like you know. <laughs> He was tidying the office and stuff like that. And then I even forgot at one point that that he didn't work for me. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then the, the strangest bit of the film is he was like a naturist, so he used to get naked loads as well. And at first you'd be a bit, oh my God, there's a naked person. And like, why is there a naked person in the office? And then I was so busy and so up against it and had so much fun that I wouldn't even notice. <laughs> so basically you've got a naked assistant who's working for free. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's entertainment, girls. That's showbiz, <laughs> that's showbiz, love. 
You should write a sitcom about that. That sounds genius. A little two-hander. Uh, yeah, was a two-hander. <laughs> My latest assistant. At first, I was like, oh, Mark, please put some clothes on. So and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do the filming naked day because you do everything naked. That was a joke. And then towards the end of it, I didn't, I really didn't notice. I was so busy that I was like, it didn't even register with me. Did, did he ever find things quite exciting through the day? That then caught your attention? I have no idea. <laughs> she didn't notice. Too busy, Esther. <laughs> Too busy singing the theme tune, doing the presenting, doing the producing. <laughs> exactly. Do you prefer presenting or producing? Do you know what? Pre- no, it was presenting kind of, but I didn't really have anyone in yeah. my ear. And when I've done things, I worked on a news channel for a while and we, had, we all had to have yeah. an earpiece. And I found that really, really difficult. I did find it quite difficult to... For someone telling, like, the time and stuff. And I've been in the gallery quite a lot when things have gone wrong or, you know, uh, they're mainly with time, like, the, the, they're about to drop off air or for whatever reason. And the pressure under the presenter, like, they, we just think that they're, you know, very you know, gracefully just reading what they have to do. But they're, honestly, what's going on in their ear is terrifying. I'd, I'd, I'd struggle to do that all the time, I think. I guess it's practice. It is. I suppose it really, it's a bit but... like the naked man. You zone it out eventually. If you have an open, like, usually it's just one person talking in your ear, but if you have an open switch to, say, if I'm in the gallery as well and I need to start feeding digital stuff, so, like, changing cue cards or making it kind of the programme up to date, you'll hear a couple of people. So on the jungle, I was going through a producer, but then sometimes they'd hear me going, this has just come in. Do you want to is this funny enough to have in the script or such and such and they'd, they'd make like Rob Beckett would make the decision because he was a comedian it's high pressure it really is I'd like to have a go definitely but I think I'd be like just yeah, shut up <laughs> I'm doing it I'm doing it so you don't have voices inside your head normally then Joe? Well, I'm just wondering about when you're doing stand up and whether you know you ever have anything running through your head I, I do well recently I had a job on um, a writing job on Bullseye you remember <laughs> yeah, Bullseye <laughs> Exactly. What are you writing on Bullseye? I was writing uh, jokes for Alan Carr because uh, he's the new presenter of Bullseye on this uh, thing. So, And I worked out the voice inside my head must be a middle-aged camp guy from the Midlands. Because <laughs> I, I could write quite easily jokes for Alan Carr. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, oh my god, that was that was a load of fun. My nan would have been so proud if she'd seen my bullseye. It's an absolute classic, isn't it? Really is. It is defining. It's actually super great. Yeah. You could have won this speedboat, <laughs> even though you live in the centre of Manchester. Exactly. Um, <laughs> even though you live in a tower block. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about stand-up. So you're a stand-up comedian. How did you get into that? And was there like a light bulb moment where you thought, do you know what? I'm pretty funny. I reckon I can do this on stage. It was a dare between me and a very successful comedian friend of mine now uh, called Anna Quilly. And we, we kind of just dared each other do it because we went on to study drama at university and that's where we met and we were always very much into the comic elements of it but there we never thought that we'd end up doing stand-up ever I thought there's no way on the whole of this earth that I would do stand-up and then I did it and uh, I had a great first gig had a terrible second gig and then it just kind of went on from there <laughs> the, the terrible second gig wasn't enough to put you off no no and there's been some corkers that really have but I think it, yeah I, I don't know I don't know why it's so addictive I really don't I've often very much ask myself the same question of why why 
10 years later, it's still one of the main things that I enjoy doing. You're an actress and you've trained as an actor. And has that got the same addictive element, do you think? Or is it a different thing? I think it's, it's different with acting because you can only do acting if someone lets you do it, can't you, really? If you get the parts or if you um, go and do a play. But you can do stand-up pretty much every night of the week if you wanted to and it's not a pandemic. You can just go to a pub and do, like, turn up and do loads of new jokes somewhere. So... It's a lot. It's a lot more accessible stand-up, really, to mm. to be able to do it full time. There's so many elements of stand-up that aren't really about the jokes as well. You'll get booked. For example, I'm booked in a couple of weeks to do somewhere in Laos. I have to stay there for two days in a hotel and then do each each sitting in the hotel. Basically, open yeah. the open the show for twenty minutes. I've never been to Laos in my life. I love going all over the country. Yeah. So I'll let, I'll send you a postcard. Thank you. <laughs> it is the control thing. It really is. If you know how to do something that not a lot of people know how to do, and and they don't, there's a lot of people that think they know how to do stand up, but they yeah. they can't do it. Really, they can't go up there and control yeah. a room and mm. and work out where the laugh should be and and do it professionally, basically. So if you if you can do that, it's a really yeah. good feeling. But I came I came up the other day because. I had this massive gig by candlelight and it was all been streamed. And it was the day of the semi-final football. Uh, I haven't really been watching, well, I haven't been watching the football. So the day of the semi-final. So I was totally fine about it. Like it was busy as well. And I went on and I had an absolutely brilliant gig, a really, really good time. Came off and because I haven't been doing loads of stand-up, my adrenaline's all over the place at the moment. It's kind of, it's really hard to control your adrenaline. Yeah. So I was driving through London, sort of back out to mine, and everyone was jumping in the street because we just won the semi-final. So people were like wrapped in England flags and jumping on cars. So I had to go really slowly down Archway Road. There was a massive group of people doing it and they a load of people filming them. And because I went so slowly and because I was so adrenaline pumped and charged, I started waving at them like, like it was all about like it was all about me. Yeah. I, made, I made England getting to the finals of the Euros all about me. Go there, that's great. <laughs> Somewhere, someone's got this little video of me going up, like, waving like the Queen at half past eleven. At Why night. not? <laughs> thank you, thank you. I am amazing. Thank you. Thank Guys, I know it was a good gig. I know it was a good gig. Joe Coffey's back in comedy. <laughs> Hurrah. The flags are out. So have you got a really memorable gig, you know, that you just think, I was absolutely on fire? I mean, you've probably got a few, but is there, are there some that stand out for you? Again, it can be the most enjoyable ones are the ones that you don't expect. The tiny ones, and then you come off and you're like, oh, that was brilliant. But like the sort of big hitter one where I was so nervous and uh, it's the biggest venue I've played was when I uh, supported Ben Alton uh, in December wow. uh, for his final show at Shepherd's Bush Empire. Incredible. I'd not really done a gig to that size before so I was like oh and that was really good fun but I want to do um there's a show in Edinburgh called Late and Live mm. and it starts at one o'clock in the morning and it's got about 800 really really drunk Scottish people that just want to kill you and I've gone <laughs> to it loads and it's a real sort of rite of passage basically as a comedian so I'd like to have a crack at that I think it's one of those things that I've seen it go wrong for so many people that I'd just like to have a crack at it just to see how it goes so yeah. if we're all allowed out come and come and uh, hurl abuse at me at one o'clock oh. in the morning in uh, Edinburgh <laughs> would love to I'm actually desperate to go to Edinburgh yeah I mean yeah. the Edinburgh festival that's a kind of addictive thing isn't it is that something you've have you done a few times as a comic yeah I've done it 
three times as a comic now and I was due to go last year. I had a venue at the Underbelly, which was nice. It's brilliant, but I, I, I know I'm such a, I'm such a Weatherspoons girl, aren't I? I like, I the, my venue beforehand was at the back of this really rough pub in Edinburgh. And I was there kind of eight o'clock slot. And honestly, I had such a laugh doing the show there. The, the whole reg, all the regulars came. They brought all their mates and everything and their oh, family great. and stuff. It was really good fun. So, but it wouldn't, you know, it, when I finally get back to Edinburgh, it would be nice to do it in a, an actual place with people not throwing chairs and watching. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you find that you stick very tightly to a script when you're performing or do you go off if something pops into your head that you think is funny? Yeah, well, I'm a bit scripty. I do, to be honest. I think that's the actor in me. I'm trying to do more MCing because it really opens you up a little bit. You're not kind of just saying what the jokes are that that work often when you try something that you just thought of before going on stage it works really really well it always works well because it's more spontaneous do you find that when you write it it's quite instinctive that you know what the jokes are or do you have to try them out a few times to see if they land yeah i've got a rule of three that i'll try it three times and then bin it but there's some jokes that I'm still trying to flog now. <laughs> Fifteen years later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they're not and they're not having it, Susie. <laughs> keep keep at it. The flags yeah. will be out soon for those jokes. Yeah, they? they will, they will. <laughs> You'll get there. You're just ahead of your time, I think. Yeah. That's what's happening. With some... I'd love to see what my time is. If it ever ever turns up, <laughs> what would you say your style is, Joe, in terms of comedy? The stuff that I do on uh, my club set, almost like my twenty minutes, is quite kind of uh, observational. It's a lot about my height. It's kind of, but the stuff that I do in Edinburgh is really odd, like really surreal, kind of Vic and Bob, uh, Harry Hill type stuff. Brilliant. Like very very silly. I tend to go down a bit of a a surreal route. So I've had one guy stood up in in the last Edinburgh show and he's like, "No, I don't get this. I don't understand what you're what you're doing." And I went, "Oh, it's okay. Like no problem here." I said, "Well, what? he's like, I'm going to go." And I went, "Okay, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you should go if if you don't get it." And he's like, "Come on," to his wife. And I went, "Oh no, no, she's Pamela's not going. Pamela's staying, aren't you?" And Pamela was like, "Yeah, get lost." <laughs> He went to the bar and bought us all a drink in the end. Oh, that's great. What fun. And how do you handle if you have a really rubbish show? How do you deal with that mentally? Because I imagine that would be quite tough. It is. I'm not great at it, to be honest, Esther. I'm not. I don't really like, uh, particularly in Edinburgh, I don't read any criticism or anything because it, it's just too much. Like, if you've really slugged on something and then a reviewer's come in when you're happening to have a bad show and then just slags you off, it's like, oh, God. You know, it's a little bit too much, really. Yeah, I don't read anything at all. I try to, it, that really helped. Yeah. But um, it, it depends how, I mean, you can have a show where you'll come on and it's quiet and you, you know, you're like, oh God, like I'm, I've had to work for it, but it still didn't, you know, they're just quiet. Yeah. Or you can have a show that they genuinely don't like you. Do not like you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Is you have to finish your 20 minutes, and you don't get paid. Oh God! Like, yeah, it can happen at any time as well. If that's happening on stage, and you're like, right, okay, they haven't gone for anything. They actually don't like me at all. They don't like my material. They don't like me chit chatting with them. You just have to mm. not panic and just carry on. Go through the motions. Do it. But it's that funny thing, isn't it, of multiple things going on in your head at the same time. You know, you're you're doing your you're saying your 
your script and your comedy and thinking at the same time, mm. oh God, they're not enjoying this or yeah. is there anything I can change? You know, it's that it's incredible what's happening in your brain in those 20 minutes. It's really weird. I love talking to the stand-ups about it because you always have a couple of quick jokes at the beginning and if they land, you can tell what type of audience it is or you can very quickly work out and it's almost like a mathematical thing that you can work out what, what way you should go from there. So it's really good watching proper kind of diehard you know, old time stand-ups do their go on and, and work the room. It's really interesting to watch. Who's your favourite stand-up? Uh, a guy called Paul Foot is my favourite stand-up. He's uh, very, very silly. <laughs> <laughs> does he have? Does he play a character as well? Uh, almost is he? Yeah, it's a kind of it's almost like a Tom Allen type thing that he's a heightened version of himself. Really, right. he dresses a bit like. Kenneth Williams oh, yeah. type that's his voice oh, okay um, and, he'll, and he has a mullet he's, he's always on a never mind yeah, the buzz I do, I do. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. and do you, do you think that's quite common in terms of comedy are you a heightened version of yourself yeah and and sometimes like personally I can go a little bit too far with it if I haven't done stand up for a while and then I come back the adrenaline and everything kicks in and the voice in your head is saying you know you could uh, this the rules of stand-up, talk to this person, don't talk to that person, you know, all that type of stuff. And then I, my character almost gets a little bit too much. It almost turns into a, a real character. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it should only really be a heightened version of yourself unless you are a character. Right, not a caricature yeah. of yourself kind of thing. Well, people like Tom Allen and um, Paul Fortz do do that, though. They are like a, they are a more heightened version of themselves, like bordering on a character. Yeah. Do you ever have to, like Beyonce has Sasha Fierce when she goes on stage, do you think I'm stepping into being this person now before you step out? Yeah, Sasha Fierce. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Beyonce. In my head at all times, I think I am Beyonce. Yes. <laughs> what a woman. And so you're an actress as well, and you've been in EastEnders and so many things, but you've mm. worked with Kenneth Branagh twice and been in a couple yes. of his films. Yes. Please tell us what that is like. Because that's very exciting. It's incredible. I mean, uh, it, it was, uh, I didn't count many people because it just sounded so bizarre. It's like, oh, Kenneth Branagh's just sent a book to my house. Like, <laughs> I'm like my pokey little flat in St Albans. That, that's a bit weird. <laughs> but I went down, the first film that we did was a Disney film uh, called Art and Spell. Yeah. It was a massive production. And I just got really excited. But, you know, obviously working with Kenneth was incredible and is, amazing and really nerve-wracking but I had to really give myself the talking to initially because I didn't want to get nervous and mess the whole thing up and I got there and the hair and makeup was a massive deal they did loads and loads of hair and makeup on me for for quite a this whole look basically with ears and massive blonde hair and it was brilliant what they did was, was incredible and then I just got really excited that I got my own trailer. Oh. I couldn't actually get my head around the fact that I got a trailer. Wow. A trailer on a Kenneth Branagh film. I mean... Exactly. You've hit the heights. Stuff of dreams. <laughs> He's lovely. Is he? Yeah. So you work with him on Artemis, well, work with Ken, mm. good old Ken. And then did he invite you back for his next project? Yeah, so he, he was doing a biopic on Shakespeare uh, called All Is True. And he wanted me to be a bar wench. Because when you look at me, you think Elizabethan, Barwench, Jacobean, isn't it? Barwench. Um, so we filmed, we we got down on set and filmed it all, but it was a really tight turnaround and I was actually employed at the end of it. And he was playing Shakespeare, but he was also directing it as well. I was supposed to be a Barwench, 
but because I currently struggle to do anything without looking like I'm taking the mick quite badly, there's <laughs> <laughs> a scene about his, his dead son, like Shakespeare's dead son, and then Ken, Ken I'm going to call him Ken, yeah. Ken decided uh, that it was, I was too much of a comic element to have, which I completely agree. I am a comic element. And I was dressed in a massive mask and, you know, kind of this big skirt. I could hardly move in the clothes. Wow. So I think the guy, the main guy dressing me thought I was fat so I was 22 because of the amount of clothes that I, came, oh, I had on. And then when he saw me in normal clothes talking and I was like a size 10, he's like, oh. <laughs> What a, what a shock! Yeah, exactly. I was just a person under all those clothes. So yeah, it didn't get used in there at the time. Yeah, I mean he's just fantastic, and I'm extremely grateful that I even got near his set, let alone wow. <laughs> near the near the wardrobe. But, yes, and that that but that's not the the only top actor you've um, worked with, though, is it, Joe? She's talking about her childhood crush. Uh... Thinking of uh, <laughs> a man I'd like to marry if he's uh, if he's still up for it, Mr. Kevin Costner. Oh, the Costner. Yeah, Costner. Oh, do you know what? If Kevin Costner asked me to marry him tomorrow... He's mine, he's mine. I would. I just definitely would. Oh, tell us about him. <laughs> he's lovely, Susie. So I did a, a ridiculous thing in between TV jobs. A friend of mine who's a, an AD on set, Kevin Costner was filming and directing a film called Criminal. And it had Tommy Lee in it, uh, uh, Gary Oldman. It had loads of... Uh, it, lovely Gal Gadot. Oh, wow. Like a babe. Yeah, this is before she was Wonder Woman as well. So it was like her first kind of big, big show. She was so nice as well. And they had this um, child in it. Uh, it was one of the main parts, Gal Gadot's daughter, supposedly, in it. But she legally wasn't allowed on set all the time. And they needed to test the cameras. They needed to sort of do loads of things on private jets and helicopters. And it was quite a high action film. So I was employed to basically just stand there. Because <laughs> I have brown hair and I'm about the size of a child. <laughs> so I was basically, I just had to stand there. And I, I kind of, now knowing like what, what this role entails, I would, you know, go down and I'd dress all in black or I'd, you know, say it. But at the time I was like, I've never worked on a Hollywood film before. I'm dressing head to toe in Gucci. I'm, I'm wearing my best cashmere and I'm standing. If I'm standing there, I'm going to look amazing. Oh, yes. So at first it was a bit, oh my God, there's Kevin Gosner and I have to stand really near Kevin Gosner and kind of pretend that I wasn't there. Then at the end of it, yeah, he was lovely. He's coming up for, back from lunch and giving me a kiss on the cheek. It's like, <gasps> Kevin Gosner. Prince of Thieves. You've been kissed by Kevin Gosner. Yes. Bloody hell. <laughs> Oh, I dreamt about that as a 13-year-old. <laughs> I know, I know. No, it was very exciting. So he did that, and then we had to, there was one scene where they had to land a private jet in front of me. It would have been the child. So I had to see how near I could stand to a private jet, basically, without what it looked like with blowing my hair and stuff. That was so cool. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And how close can you stand to a private jet, Joe? Really close, <laughs> Esther. Really close. <laughs> So uh, of the acting, the presenting, the writing, the stand-up and the producing, what's your preference? Oh, I don't know. Any, anything that, uh, whatever's paying my bills. <laughs> Spoken like a true professional. Yeah. <laughs> I like all of it. I mean, I, I, do, I do basically just stuff that is creative. I'm very lucky at the moment to be able to do that. Um, and that my 
my other job, the producing job, is is creative as well, in a but in a different way. Yeah, certainly high entertainment as well. So it's always stuff going on, and it's always I've got such a low boredom threshold that it's it's good that the stuff that I'm doing is always generally of interest. Or I, I just get myself. In, I, I think my problem, and I've thought about this, is I don't know how to say no to anything, and because I say yes to everything, I end up in some ridiculous situations, <laughs> like. Having someone land a private jet in front of me while I stood next to Kevin Costner. <laughs> I can think that's probably the best situation you could ever land. land in. You've beaten all my stories ever. Yeah. <laughs> I guess because I didn't learn how to say no. That's my problem. But you know, it's actually probably a great way to live, isn't it? Yeah. Saying yes. It is, but it's slightly irresponsible. <laughs> but you know, we're only alive for a short while, aren't we? Especially if you stand that close to a private jet. Exactly. <laughs> Do you have a, a dream role? What would be your dream project that you could work on? I was working recently up until the pandemic. Sadly, it got uh, it got halted. But I would like to write and be in a sitcom of my own, Yeah. which I did one with Rough Cut Television, and it was all about me I've been sent to prison. So it's a prison comedy. Yeah. Um, And I was in uh, a cell with a psychopath. I had to talk to loads of prison wardens to write it because I was like, if I have a disability, would I get an, like, an accessible cell? And they said, yes, you would. But it would be like gold dust and people would really try and fight to get in that cell with you. Oh, wow. So I had my cellmate in it is a psychopath. And she said that that's a disability, but it's hidden um, and not all. Disabilities are visible, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I'm like, oh, is psychopath a disability? I don't know. Actually, it might be. <laughs> so, like, like, I'd like to that or similar projects that that I'm writing on to take off and uh, to, to get it on TV. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, though, isn't it, ladies? It yeah. is hard to get yeah. it through the process. Yeah, it's um, it's can't you put so much work into something and then. Within a second, they're like, "Oh no, no, not at this time." Or, and then, then it might come back in like a year's time, or they might be interested in it again. But you, you just have to keep throwing the ideas out there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. definitely. God, we'll keep everything crossed for you. Yeah, hope it works out because it sounds brilliant. That would be great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It was lovely to speak to you, lovely ladies. You are so fascinating. I would like to talk to you all day. There's about a million questions and probably questions that I should ask you off air that I'd like to ask you as well. <laughs> oh yeah, we've got some juicy details to get once we've stopped recording. Yes, That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's been brilliant. Thank Thank you. you very much for having me on. That was brilliant. You have been listening to Limited Time Only. Well, Esther, we've reached the end of season one. It's been a wonderful roller coaster. Please don't mention fairground rides. We've loved sharing the podcast with you. Thank you for listening and for getting involved. Whether by laughing along with us or by sending your stories and guest questions in. Please keep sharing the podcast with anyone you think would enjoy it too. And if you haven't rated or reviewed it yet, it would be brilliant if you could. It's great for us to know what you've enjoyed and reviews and ratings really do help people to find the podcast we're having a little break now but if you'd like to keep in touch we're on instagram twitter and facebook just try not to spend too long scrolling through social media we'll be back for season two soon but for now see you later alligator